Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 75. So we're three quarters of a century old. We're three quarters. I told you this a few weeks ago, but do you know that we've now been doing this podcast longer in the core than we that did is out of the core? The most depressing text that you have ever sent me. <laughs> I know. And well, it's because friendship. I keep seeing things that I'm like, it feels like we were like, this is a temporary thing, right? Like we keep saying that, like this is just temporary, like this time in our life. And it is temporary, but like it just keeps dragging on. <laughs> no, I know. The, just the other day I said to my husband, it was like yesterday, I it was just like, oh my God, we're going to go a full year without the kids being in school and I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Yeah. It's yeah. really – it comes in waves. Uh, this is fun. I've got a handle on all of this. It's just another day. And then the next day it's like, it's just another day. <laughs> the same fucking day. Over and over and over. Today is one of those days. I'm truly about to lose my goddamn mind. But <laughs> I'm like, by the way, you guys probably will hear children. You will hear dogs barking. I am um, – you will hear my phone go off. I am – this is a multitasking. I, we are recording the podcast while I am working, while I am homeschooling. My husband is gone. My dogs are barking and they're not allowed in the yard right now because the backyard was just treated for fleas. Ooh. Yeah. How fun. Because if the quarantine wasn't fun enough, we needed to get a flea infestation in our backyard. You know how flea is in your backyard. How fun. How exciting. Oy, I didn't oy, even oy. Jen, so last week we recorded a podcast. You guys maybe listened. I don't know if you listen every week. Maybe you just are like, ah, I'll just listen every other week. I don't know what you do. But if you listen last week, you know that we were like, there's no decision in the election yet. We're recording anyway because we need to go ahead and record. It was on Saturday. And then literally the second we turn, we stopped recording, we were still kind of chatting and all the news the agencies second. start the we, second. Yeah. We were still – we just it. hit like – Stop on the record button when we were still talking through our microphones and headphones. And um, that's when they called it. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It was an amazing day. I mean, what has followed has been pretty crazy, as you yeah. guys all know. But that moment was just like, wait, what? Yeah. It's all happening. Um, I think we hung up have... on each other. We were like, gotta go, gotta go. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I have to go watch this. I have to go watch this on MSNBC. <laughs> Did you have a big celebration? We had a, a small big celebration and we and we had a, a quarantine celebration. We had our neighbors over and we all we put up our projector and our big, you know, our big screen and watched it on the porch and, and had some champagne and snacks. And it was really amazing. The speeches were so inspiring. It, I didn't realize how much I missed being led by somebody who is empathetic and it was just mm -hmm. really cool to watch just know that there's going to be a woman in the white house and that oh, uh, was i think huge. more than anything and was just so something that i've wanted all my life i i wrote this on twitter but 
when I was little, I may have said this before, but when I was little, my mom used to, she coached me to say from the time I was four, when any, anytime anyone would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? She coached me to answer the first woman president. That's what, and so that's what I told, I mean, you can imagine it's probably real cute. I mean, I had no intention, but that was what I told everybody (laughs) um, for forever. And I just am like, it, it seemed like such like a, people would laugh at it like laugh at this little girl saying she was going to be president because it seemed so crazy. And now right. we have a vice president who is a woman and a woman of color. And it's just, it's really cool. And it's amazing. And yeah. It's really amazing. And Sally, I would vote for you for president. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sally um, for Prez. Did you guys have a big celebration? Yeah, we we drove through our town square where people were celebrating. That was pretty great. And then we oh, went Oh, yeah. To- I forgot to say – sorry to interrupt you, but Max and I went to Freedom Park. And, oh, cool. Because I was just like, I just want to honk at some people. And so we went – we were honking at them. And then Max was like, I want to go out. And then so we went and held signs and let people honk at us. And it was really – it was very special. It was very it- cool. It really was special. And then yeah. and then we went to um our friend's house who we're potting with and we celebrated there. And so yeah, and then we awesome. all watched the speeches together. It was really, really a special night. Yeah. So special. I feel like I keep I, just saying special. And I'm really proud of you for getting through it with that crazy headache you had. <laughs> crazy oh, hangover. With my hangover. Oh no, yeah. the hangover you know ended up being a blessing in disguise because it kept me from drinking a lot that night. Yeah. Whereas my husband and everyone else proceeded to um, drink way too much, <laughs> and then I drove us home. And then I was, you know, on duty the next morning yeah. while my husband. Uh, was dying for he was like payback hours. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> my turn right, dude <laughs> let's right. get into our quick quickies all right so my quickie for this week let me start off sally you are a lawyer Jen. sure lawyer sally did you uh-huh. ever have because i know you did all kinds of different things did you ever have to deal with divorce law no, I never had to do any kind of family law. Really? Goodness, which I hear is like the hardest, most heart-wrenching. It's like the messiest law. Oh, yeah. Because, right? You're dealing with people at their absolute worst, and it's all about family and feelings, and it's – yeah, it's pretty pretty awful. I had a friend, and I'm not going to say what her name is because I don't want her to get in trouble. But she was a paralegal, and she did divorce law. And she would tell us the fucking wildest stories. And I remember yeah. there was this for a whole like week straight, she had to watch all of these sex tapes because they had somehow they were important to the case. And so she had she had to watch the client that they were working for sex tapes. And there was a million of them. And for like a whole week straight, that was her day from like eight hours a day, sex tapes. Her client. Can you imagine? Like at first you were probably like, this is funny. And then like by the second, you'd be like, oh, this is horrifying and awful I know. and really gross and not sexy at all. Dude. <laughs> oh my God. This is an article on Thought Catalog from Lorenzo Jensen on Reddit. He asked divorce lawyers on Ask Me Anything um, uh-huh. on Reddit, asked if divorce lawyers to send in stories of their worst divorces that they had ever heard of and oh. he comp- yeah 
And so he compiled a list of 16, but I just picked and choose some of my favorites here, some crazy divorce stories. So this first one was written by someone who goes by the name of Tone Lope. Okay. Uh, So uh, it says, yeah, my uncle represented this guy getting a divorce from his wife of 15 years, super toxic breakup, and they split everything 50-50, even the land that they lived in sat upon even the land they lived in some of these are not the most uh, (laughs) grammatically correct uh well she decides to build a house right behind the other house mind you that was a lot of land probably 200 yards separating from both sites so that the back of the houses faced each other the house gets built and my uncle gets a call from his client asking about the legality of the situation he had gotten himself into apparently his ex-wife had spent a lot of time in their backyard so she's he saw her all the time but so what he did was because he hated his ex-wife so much is what he did was he bought a female dog and named the dog the same name as his ex-wife <laughs> Anytime he would let the dog back in from letting her out, he would yell, Susan, you bitch, get in here. (laughs) He would also yell if she was peeing on the flowers, Susan, you bitch, quit pissing on the flowers. (laughs) Or Susan, you bitch, keep quit digging in the dirt. The ex-wife called the cops on him a couple of times, but there was nothing they could do because the dog was registered under the name of Susan and it was in fact a bitch. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) this okay you know i um am a property manager and um i once had a tenant call in to complain that uh her downstairs neighbor had made his wi-fi name the loud ass bitch upstairs (laughs) (laughs) and i was like well are you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what do you want me to do about that? I can't make him change his Wi-Fi name. Right. Maybe just shut up. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so this is another story from Pumpkin Lord. I am an accountant, not a divorce lawyer. Had a client hide Ziploc bags of ground meat throughout the house. In air vents, the attic behind the water heater, I think it was at least 20 to 30 bags that took months to find them all. Oh. Isn't that disgusting? That's disgusting. Okay, this one's from Q and Fool STL. No lawyer, but at the time, none of these guys are lawyers, by the way. They're like, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I know somebody. Uh, But this person says, no lawyer, but at the time I worked on uh, bank equipment. My favorite was opening safety deposit boxes for the bank. So I was asked to get there before the bank opened, which was odd. I show up and greet the bank employee along with a lawyer and a very angry looking looking woman. I get the lock open and swing the door open as the angry woman shouts, let me in there. And I I step outside the vault and then she screams, that motherfucker, and storms off. But she threw down a piece of paper that said, fuck you, bitch. (laughs) It has been a nasty divorce and the ex-husband got there before she did. (laughs) This is crazy. So I have a lot of them on here. There's a couple here. This one guy, his wife got to keep the house in the in the divorce, but she never changed the Nest thermostat password. So he's been oh. fucking with her for years <laughs> and turning her AC up and down. And <laughs> and so uh, I'll just end it with this one. So I'll end it on this one. This one is from somebody named uh, Half a Beer. Why just the half? 
Just go for it. <laughs> um, it. But he said, my old man left my mom $1 in his will as well as something about the contents of his will are not to be discussed unless in person or something. I'm not sure is 100% how it works. When he kicks the bucket, though, she'll need to drive for hours from a small country town to get $1 and then turn around and drive all the way back home. It's by no means the worst thing, but it made me chuckle. That makes me chuckle too. That's pretty funny. That's a good joke. Pretty good gotcha. Yeah. These are all pretty funny. These are like the funny ones, but if you go on there, so it's on thoughtcatalog.com, bad divorce stories, look Mm -hmm. it up, but there are some really terrible, heartbreaking ones. Ones that really bad and so but i just picked all the funny ones but if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty and feel some emotions that are (laughs) fucked up and go back and read the whole thing i might i might do that i fucking dare you (laughs) i'm not gonna um okay jen so So. it's kind of funny that that was your quickie because my quickie is also about divorce I got my information from Fox 23 News and the Daily Mail, but this is about a couple who is having a great divorce. Oh, good. Um, So this is Oklahoma couple Shalina Casanova and her husband, who is not named in any of the articles. It's just Shalina Casanova and her husband. So I I don't know why he's not named, but they decided to get a divorce. They have children and they basically were like, look, We're going to work hard to keep things as amicable as possible for the kids and for each other. And so Shalena and her ex decided that since everything in a relationship these days is celebrated with a photo shoot from engagement to wedding to gender reveals, that they were going to celebrate their divorce with a divorced photo shoot. And so, which is not like a totally new idea, but usually you know, when there are divorce photo shoots, it's just one of the couple <laughs> will do like, right? you know, but this is the two of them. So in one photo that Shalena posted on Facebook, she's down on one knee and she has a chalkboard sign that says, will you divorce me? And then her <laughs> ex is, is standing and he's holding a matching sign that has an enthusiastic, yes. <laughs> and then there's another picture with Shalena holding up her, her wedding gown and her ex has a tuxedo jacket over his shoulder and it says for sale tux and wedding dress worn by mistake (laughs) oh my god in the last one shalada is holding a sign that says i want a divorce today and her husband is is holding a sign that says i want a divorce yesterday and they're both (laughs) smiling they're really cute we'll post them but shalana wrote you know she's like just tired of people making her feel ashamed for for their choices. She said, we're by no means condoning divorce. However, we're not ashamed to celebrate the end of our marriage. We choose to co-parent successfully. We We chose to separate for the kids and not believe the lie that said staying together for the kids' sake is what's best for them. We love fully when we are our best selves. And so that is a quickie. I love that. I love that so much. And I like, I I do truly believe that there are, it is totally possible to, to divorce and be friends. Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow, they consciously uncoupled. That's right. You could consciously, I mean, I think it it depends, it depends on what the marriage was like, but um, I certainly think if you can, 
Go yeah, <laughs> and if you if they're both feeling happier not together, and to the point where they're they're doing a photo shoot about it, then that's right. great and good for them for starting their lives over and making a good situation for their family. I know, that's and I great. just am like that's teaching their kids that being happy is and and being true to yourself is more important than worrying about what other people think of you and your yeah. choices. So yeah, I'm so I think it's cool. I think it's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, so those are our divorce quickies this week. Apparently, <laughs> love it, love it. Divorce quickies. Hey Sally, yes Jen. Wow, that was really off tune. Well, <laughs> Can I take two? mine? Was very yes, nasally. Yes, Jen. Hang Sally. I sounded like the nanny, like Fran Drescher. <laughs> Sally. Oh my gosh. Max yeah. has started doing this laugh, like a, it's a fake laugh, but he's doing it all the time, and it is a, the nanny laugh. And Ben oh, really? and I both are just like, "Oh my god, stop! Please, stop. <laughs> please stop!" It's so awful, but it's like we know the more that we point it out, the more he's gonna do it. But it is, man, it's it's a it's a rough period right now. Oh, <laughs> I bet it's adorable, <laughs> little Max. Nanny. Well, Sally, are you ready for a uh, crazy story for this Ooh, week? Uh, I am ready. I'm ready. Okay. Give it to me. It's a good one. Man, this one will leave you probably feeling I like I felt where I just didn't know how I felt. Ooh. And I still right. don't. Okay. My information came from an episode of 2020 by David Muir and Elizabeth 2020? Vargas. David Muir, my best friend, actually mm-hmm. my son's best friend, <laughs> my son's best friend, and then a podcast called Murder in the Hudson Valley by uh, Linda Zimmerman and Michael Warden, okay. um, an article written by Kat Stoffel for L.com, an episode of a new show called Bride Killer. Oh, Not no. killer. <laughs> Bride like Killer. Instead of Bridezilla, it's Bride Killer. Oh, my God. I didn't even make that connection until now. <laughs> and then an episode uh, on um, confession tapes on Netflix. Okay. So, yeah. And then also there was a Nancy Grace podcast that I listened to for more information about it. I got about, you know, 15 seconds in and I was like, enough, Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Don't. I can't. <laughs> I can Grace. Yes. Can you believe – <laughs> this woman. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, so Angelica Graswald was born and raised in Latvia, which okay. was part of the former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know geography, she grew up living in cramped living spaces and not so great living conditions. She often didn't have running water. It wasn't the best place to grow up where yeah. she was living, but she really did make the most of it. She focused on things that she loved, which were music and photography. And um, she always had dreams of one day escaping and moving to the United States for what she believed to be the American dream. Um, You know, a better Mm -hmm. life in Mm -hmm. the U.S. of A. Um, Mm -hmm. So she went to college at Dagov Pills. (laughs) 
Talk of Pills, <laughs> which is in Latvia. Uh, and at 100% the, how that is pronounced. I think. <laughs> and at the age of 20, she took an academic leave because she wanted to learn a new language and, you know, experience something new and see the world. Her boyfriend at the time helped her place an ad to get a job as an au pair in this newspaper in Oslo. And so she was able to get a job through a Norwegian family that was living in Greenwich, Connecticut, looking for a nanny. So, or an au pair, sorry. Uh, (laughs) But she uh, was an au pair for two twin boys and a five-year-old girl. And she actually said it was the hardest job she had ever had. Um, She said it was, yeah, it was a four-story house. It was huge and it was under construction. She said that she had to do the cooking and cleaning and and kids and dogs and it was all on her and it was just too much. So she didn't love it. Angelica was a beautiful girl. She was a petite little thing, just five feet tall. And she has very long blonde hair. You know, it wasn't hard for her to find love. The guys were knocking. So (laughs) before she was even out of her 20s, she ended up marrying two times. The first time she got married was from a man in Connecticut that she met while she was a nanny. The marriage only lasted a year. And then after she left her nannying job, she worked as an archival researcher at the Franklin D. Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum in Poughkeepsie. Have you ever been to Poughkeepsie? Have I? Yes. Yes, I have. I've never been, but all of the pictures look beautiful. Um, I have. I think I actually did a a writing retreat there once. That sounds right. Which means I took I took myself to the (laughs) to the mountains and was like, I'm gonna be gone for a few days. Um, Nice. I think that was in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. She ended up falling in love with the Hudson Valley, which it's really is, beautiful. Yeah. You know, she loved outdoor photography. And she so with like the Hudson River and everything, it was just the, the perfect backdrop for her to take amazing photographs. She particularly fell in love with one part, an island called Bannerman's Island. It's this small island that's on the Hudson River. It was a former military surplus arsenal, which was built at the beginning of the 20th century. It it had a Scottish-style castle at one point, but it's mostly destroyed. There was a fire in 1969 that destroyed it, but all the ruins of the castle are there. And Mm -hmm. so it's just this really interesting, unique island. It's a very European thing to have castles. You don't see that in the States, you know? So it kind of reminded her of home a bit. And she just really was always drawn to this to this island, so much so that she joined a volunteer group that helped maintain the island. She would plant trees and pick up trash and all that stuff just to keep the island beautiful. She ended up getting a second divorce and she got a job as a waitress at a local bar that was known for um, live music. It was just kind of one of those places where They would have open mics all the time. There's always somebody playing music. You could jump in. You could start playing. You could start singing. That kind of a cool live music vibe, which I have to say, I don't like live music when I'm eating dinner. Mm -mm -mm. I like music and I like going to shows. If I'm eating dinner and then all of a sudden I see a guy with an acoustic guitar come out and set up his microphone, I'm like, God damn it. Right. No. <laughs> oh man. But anyway, at this restaurant that she worked at, and she, you know, she loved music too, so she would always jump in and 
join and sing and do all that stuff. But when she was at this restaurant is where she ended up meeting on September 22nd, uh, 2013. She met this tall, dark and handsome older man. By older man, I mean he was 46 and she was 35. So like not a huge deal, but right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So by the name of uh, Vincent Viafore. Vincent was an engineer for the Office of General Services. I'm going to pretend like I know what that is because uh, I don't, but it sounds mm-hmm. interesting, sounds riveting. And so, but they, um, <laughs> Angela, generally boring. general, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a job. And yeah. so, <laughs> it's like the definition of a job. I work in the general office, it's just general stuff, doing services. So Angelica and Vincent ended up clicking immediately. Um, They had a ton of stuff in common. They were both super fun loving. They loved the outdoors. They both loved to kayak and they both loved photography. And they were both real fun people, but they also were super laid back. He had actually been married twice before as well. So they did have that in common. And um, (laughs) they really both know how to make a relationship work. Yeah. And everybody said that Vincent was the life of the party. His friends said that he pretty much owned every room that he walked into. You know, he was just kind of this huge presence, but, you know, really lovable. And so after talking to each other that night, uh, the first night they met, they set up a date and they went on their date. And then one date turned into two dates. And then they started spending all of their time together, like every moment together. Just weeks after dating and meeting, Vincent invites Angelica to move in with him like super fast. So he said that he just figured it would save money to have one apartment instead of two because they were just together all the time. And she agreed. So she moved in. But their friends and family were a little bit apprehensive because not only did they barely know each other, but they had both been divorced twice. And they were like, slow down. But they were just super into each other. And one night, at a hibachi restaurant on the Hudson River, Vince actually proposes to Angelica with an onion ring off of the hibachi grill. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so romantic! He was like, flip me that shrimp. I know. Like, like, marry me. Yeah, just flip a sh- <laughs> shrimp in her cleavage and then... And then put an old onion ring on her finger. Yeah, then. come on. Ching, 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 ching. This ching, is the ching. third time. It doesn't need to be special <laughs> but she said yes mm-hmm. um and then they gave her one of those oranges shaped like a panda <laughs> to put a right. drink as yeah. big as your head yeah so they had plans to get married on the baltic sea because that's where she always envisioned getting married and she wanted her family to be there but they they also were going to do a smaller wedding in the Hudson Valley for all of their friends. And they had planned on taking wedding uh, their wedding photos on Bannerman's Island with the castle in the background because that's, you know, she just loved the island so much. So, th- so they were planning on getting married in August of 2015. And since, as you know, Sally, planning a wedding is very hard. So um, stressful. Yes. Angelica <laughs> suggests events that maybe she should just stop working her job at the bar so that she could focus just on the wedding. And he said, okay. And yeah, so she – to me. Dude, I wish I could have quit my job to plan my wedding. <laughs> I wish I could have just quit. I would have actually planned a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I just wish I could quit too. Their friends said that that was kind of um, a source of uh, contention for the yeah. two of them, you know, because after a while it stopped being cute that he was working and going, they were going through their savings and the, and apparently they were engaged for a very long time. Um, I think like a year and a half to two years went by and they still hadn't gotten married. And so, you know, funds run out. And so, uh, but that's all speculation, you know, just from his friends. And so on a Sunday afternoon in 2015, Angelica and Vincent decided to take their kayaks out to Bannerman's Island to spend some alone time together. Apparently they had gone out the night before and drank a lot. They had some kind of a fight about being out too late and wanting to go home and drinking too much, you know, how couples do. And then, um, so, but then they decided that they were going to have a nice afternoon together. So they brought with them lunch and some beers and they brought some lingerie to do like a sexy photo shoot on the island because the island was really private. She, She was allowed access to the island because she was a volunteer, but you had to have like a certain credentials to get onto the island. So really she knew that, you know, nobody was really going to be there. Now, when they set out on the river to kayak to Bannerman's Island, their kayaks – Yeah. Sorry. It just took me that long to process that they're going to – the two of them are going to do a sexy photo shoot? Yeah. Well, he's going to take pictures. So he was going to take pictures of her. Like they both like photography and he liked taking pictures of her because she was beautiful and – uh-huh. You know, so it was going to be him taking sexy photos of her. Does that make sense? Okay. I mean, okay. It, I, I understand the concept. It just also is seems very foreign, <laughs> like very crazy to me. I know. <laughs> I would. Can you imagine being like, Zach, <laughs> let's go to, let's, let's paddle over to this island. I'm going to take some lingerie. You take pictures. Doesn't that sound like a fun afternoon? That's an Instagram boyfriend, dude. That's all they do. I just don't have an Instagram husband. That's right. You know what I mean? And you and I aren't Instagram (laughs) girls. But I don't think that's foreign at all. I think people have have their – who do you think is taking all of these thirst traps? No, you're right. You're totally right. It is just – yeah, it's just a foreign concept to me. Foreign to us. But not to everybody else. Right. You guys let us know. Have you ever – Done something like that? to an island and taken a sexy photo shoot? Yeah. Do you have an Instagram boyfriend slash girlfriend slash wife slash husband? <laughs> I want to know. So okay. do I. Sorry. Um, Go ahead. So so the conditions of them taking the kayaks on the river to Bannerman's Island were not great because their kayaks were not river kayaks. They were lake kayaks. So that's important uh-huh. to know. And the wa- yeah. the weather was – even though it was nice for an April day in New York – the water was still about 38 degrees and the waters were very, very choppy that day. Yeah. So they were able to get to the island okay and they spent a few hours hanging out, drinking beers, to get some pictures. And then they decided to head back, you know, when the sun started to go down. But the kayak ride back was not easy. The conditions had gotten worse by the time they had left. The sun had, starting to go, had started to go down and the water was getting rough. The tiny ship was lost. If not for the courage of the fearless crow, <laughs> Minnow would be lost. That was a Gilligan's Island reference. Cut oh, that. I got it. Um, okay. So the water started getting rough and it ended up filling Vince's kayak. 
And then his kayak just went underwater and then he was thrown into the river. So, and he wasn't wearing, and so it was crazy cold and he wasn't wearing a life vest, by the way. And he screamed to Angelica to call 911. So she called 911 and while she was speaking to someone telling them like, my fiance fell in the water and I need your help. So there was like a boat club nearby and they're like, can you see it? Like start paddling to there. And she's like, no, but I want to get to my fiance. And they're like, well, you need to go to safety first. And so they told her to start paddling there because a boat was coming out to rescue them. And she saw the rescue boat, but before the rescue boat got to her, she also fell into the water. So they rescued her and they treated her for hypothermia, but they were unable to find Vince. So it, and they tried searching for him and they just, they couldn't find him. It was dark out and the water was cold and they searched and searched and the search went on for quite some time. So essentially Vince went missing and people commented on how they thought that her behavior the days after Vince's behavior was a bit odd because she seemed emotionless, but that can be totally normal for somebody that's in shock that their fiance is missing. Right. But days after his disappearance, she was posting lighthearted pictures and videos on social media, doing things like cartwheels, holding up a shot glass and grinning while smoking a cigar. And like with like peace fingers as she was at a bar a week later singing karaoke. She was singing Hotel California, like things like that people just thought were strange. Right. And then 10 days after Vince's disappearance, she decided to go back to Bannerman's Island to take some flowers for Vince, you know, kind of like a memorial because at this point it didn't seem like Vince was going to be found alive, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I think you would probably know that that night, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so detectives that were working the case knew that she was going to Bannerman's Island. So they decided that they were going to go that day too. And so while they were on the island and they saw her, they asked if they could follow her around, ask her some questions, you know, get some more information out of her. And so these detectives alleged that while they were on the island, Angelica admitted to them that she had pulled the plug on Vince's kayak before they had set out and that she said that she wanted him to die. What? Yeah. So then they said that she also admitted that she removed this ring that connects the paddle at the center so that the paddle would come apart. And then so okay. they were like, why would you want him dead? Well, I don't understand. What are you saying? And, and why would you admit that to us? Yeah. They said that she told them that Vince was demanding things from her sexually that she didn't want to do and that she couldn't take the pressure. Things like watching porn and having threesomes and BDSM stuff that she said that he wanted that from her, but it all just made her so uncomfortable. So I guess she wanted him to die. So yeah. So they of course didn't have any of this recorded since they were on a private island when they got this information from her. So they brought her in for questioning at the police station. And after an 11 hour interrogation, Of them saying things to her like, and you watched him drown. And then she'd be like, no, I didn't just watch him drown. I tried to get him and I called 911. Like, yeah, but you wanted him to die, you know? So 11 hours this went on. But while they were interrogating her, other police officers went 
searched her and Vince's apartment. And that's when they discovered that one of his guns is missing. So I don't know how they knew that. I don't know if somebody told them like what guns he had, but apparently a gun was missing. So they were convinced at this point that when they find Vince's body, they're going to see that he had died of a gunshot wound and they wanted to get a confession out of her. You know, they have this girl in this confession room right and they they want to break her to get her to say that she killed him or shot him so they did the whole like good cop bad cop thing like they had this one guy in there that was telling her like look this is your therapy session he used the word therapy session he's like tell me what he did to you and um, and why yeah i see it was probably a relief to have him gone and then they send in the bad cop he's talking to her more sternly and he's saying things to her like so at what point did you take the ring out of vince's paddle and she's like, I didn't take the ring. I, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, you yeah. killed him. And she's like, I didn't kill him. You know, so this goes on for hours and hours and hours. And the thing is, when the police leave her alone in the room, she starts, she surprises everybody by doing, she started to do yoga uh-huh. in the middle of the room. And she started to do this kind of hopscotch sort of thing. And yeah. um, so the police look at her and they're like, what the fuck? Look at this weirdo. She's obviously guilty. She's doing yoga and hot that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it kind of makes sense where you're like, you're exhausted. You're trying to keep your mind clear. So Stay awake. Yeah. It's 11 hours. At this point, it's in the middle. It's like 1 a.m., you yeah. know? But they're like, lock her up. So also they're convinced that she's guilty because there is a life insurance policy that right. six months before he died, Vince had added her as a beneficiary. Yeah. And so she stood to gain. There are conflicting reports on this. One place, uh, one article said $250,000. Another said two $250,000 payouts, which would be a five, $500,000. So it's not quite clear how much she would have gotten. But then they go back in there and they get her to talk more about these sexual demands that he was making in their relationship and that's where Angelica admits that he did threaten to call off the wedding if she didn't meet his sexual needs and she said that that upset her you know and they were like enough to kill him they asked her like now when you were watching Vince drown in the water did you feel a sense of relief that he was gone and then on the video so this is where Angelica looks bad on the video. She says that she did feel a sense of euphor. She said euphoric. She was euphoric when she realized that he was gone. Uh-huh. And so that was the most damning thing on this tape. Yeah. And then they're talking to her about the psychology of her, you know, and she says to them, I'm like ripping in two halves, uh, have an angel side and a demon side. And the demon side, nobody wants to see that side of me. And she said, and that side was telling me, just let this happen. And then the good side was telling me, save him, save him. And then they ask her, well, why did this demon side win out? And she said, because of the way that he was treating me. And so, yeah, so that is doesn't look good. So that's when detectives get really stern with her. And about nine hours into the interrogation, they just yell at her like, you killed Vinny. And she said, well, you guys are the ones that are telling me that. And then they said, no, we want you to admit it. And she breaks down and she goes, all right, I'll give you the fucking statement. I wanted him dead and now he's gone and I'm okay with it. 
And then with that, they arrested her for murder and sent her to the Orange County, New York jail. And her bond was set at a bail of uh, um, her bail was set at three million dollars cash or yeah. nine million dollars bond. That's yeah. a lot. It's a lot, but for a normal murder. for murder. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so in May, they ended up finding Vince's body only a mile down from Bannerman's Island. And when coroners examined his body, they found no gunshot wounds. But what's weird, death report, was yeah. that as the the medical examiner put down as the cause of death, drowning caused by plug being pulled from a kayak. <gasps> what? Like, that's not a medical examination. Yeah. You can't deduct that from an autopsy. I, I can't believe that that was even allowed. Yeah. It's just so strange. So anyway – so prosecutors were going after a second-degree murder charge as well as a second-degree manslaughter charge for her. And she sat in jail for two years while awaiting their trial. And all of this, this entire trial was resting on the case that she removed this plug intended intending for him to drown. Yeah. Before they were even able to go to trial, the defense was able to prove that Vince knew that the drain plug was missing. In fact, he was the one that strapped the kayak to the roof of the car that day. And he ran a strap across the kayak and then he used the hole in the drain plug to secure it. You know, those bungees. And then he hung it, he rested it on the inside of that hole. And they were able to see that on video of the car that day because security footage saw the kayaks on the car and it showed that it was inside the hole. Oh man, whoever the like, Either the lawyer or like the investigator that discovered that was like, what? I mean, that's like yeah. such a small thing that you could totally miss. Yeah. And they yeah, were also amazing. able to show photos of Vince kayaking on earlier trips without the drain plug. So the drain plug wasn't in there when he was kayaking and he wasn't wearing a life vest. So yeah. it kind of showed that like he was very lackadaisical about his right. kayaking. This was just how he kayaked. Yeah. So the prosecution's case was starting to fall apart. And in July of 2017, they offered her a plea deal. And they told her that if she pled guilty to criminally negligent homicide, which is thereby admitting that by removing the plug and ignoring the bad conditions of the water, she unintentionally was responsible for his death. Yeah. And then she would get a reduced sentence of two to four years with time served. Yeah. So she accepted the plea, even though she says that she'd never removed the plug and she didn't there intend was no for plug. him to die. Yeah. She accepted the plea because she felt that the media had already painted this picture of her as being this. They, they called her the kayak killer. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. she just like, everybody already thinks that I'm guilty and I can get say that I did it and then get out soon or I could be in jail for the rest of my life. Right. And so she accepted the plea and the judge sentenced her to 16 to 48 months. And just six weeks later, with credit for time served, which was four days before Christmas of 2017, Angelica walks out of prison and she is free to this day after serving two and a half years behind bars. Now, Vince's family is completely outraged, outraged. Now, she says that she has found Jesus and she's a born-again Christian and Mm -hmm. she's working and living on a Christian horse camp. She works there for room and board. 
And apparently she, she tends to the farm animals and does children's birthday parties and stuff. And the thing is, is a lot of people, every, like a lot of people think that she is completely guilty and got away with murder. Yeah. Like the Murder on the Hudson podcast, they, they definitely were like, can you believe this? That she said she killed them and she and she's a murderer. And then um, Nancy Grace, of course, was like, and then and the bride killer show was just like and she got away with murder but then the confession tapes if you don't know what this is on netflix it's a show called confession tapes which shows it's a it's a documentary series about coerced confessions yeah the confession tape episode shows that not only was her confession coerced, but they showed kayaking experts that said that the plug that they said, and even a a follow-up episode for 2020 also dove into this, that that plug that they're talking about, that it's a half inch hole and it's not at the bottom of the kayak, it's on the top of the kayak. And so it is very, very, very hard to fill with water. They like did all of these experiments where they're throwing buckets and buckets and buckets of water at this hole and only like a few ounces of water get into this hole. And then the L.com article is supports that Angelica is innocent. Angelica claims that her odd behavior after his disappearance, the cartwheels, the karaoke, all that stuff was due to there's something called hypomania. I don't know. I've never heard yeah. of this before. Yeah. But it's a bipolar condition where people tend to act euphoric during mm-hmm. traumatic times. And so that's how she kind of explained her reaction in the beginning. But I don't know. I have to – what's crazy, like I don't know how to feel about this. I want to say – well, when you watch her interviews, she doesn't do herself any favors. Yeah. Because when she's doing the interviews, not only the confession where she says these things, but when she's giving interviews, she does this sort of meek – demure whispery kind of talk like I guess I just didn't know you know and I you know what and I guess I was naive and thinking the police were my friends and it just doesn't sit well when you watch it you're like what a liar but I but I truly don't think that she that she pulled this took this plug out on purpose because it's obvious he had been riding around in this kayak without this plug for quite some time. I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think that, I think that she didn't kill him, but I think that she, a part of her maybe was okay with the fact that things were ending that way because she wanted out of the relationship and she was going to get a settlement. Yeah. But that doesn't make you a, she's not a murderer. Like not being sad that someone's dead doesn't make you a murderer. I mean, yeah. I always think like in in things like this, it's good to like just step back and be like, well, nobody's ever going to know, right? Because nobody was there. There's no way to definitively prove it. Yeah. But there's also no not enough evidence to convict someone of murder. There's not enough evidence to convict someone of a crime, so you have to let them free because that's how our system works and it works that way because we don't want innocent people going to jail. And that sometimes means that people who may be guilty get out, but it means far more innocent people aren't, you know, aren't in jail, even though that we do send some innocent people to jail. But I just think you have to say like, okay, whatever happened, we don't know. 
Yeah. And she didn't shoot him. She didn't pull his plug. Like there are things that the police were obviously lying about because how could she have confessed to pulling the plug when there was no plug there? Yeah. So you just can't convict somebody of that. And like, I I mean, how horrible for his family. And of course you want to blame someone. And if you hear a, yeah. a clip of this woman saying, I wanted him dead. I'm not sorry he's dead. Then of course yeah. you're going to blame them. But it also doesn't mean she murdered him. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's not a good story. Nobody wins. Yeah. It's not, there's not a clean cut ending, but I truly, I, the idea of, and the fact that the autopsy said drowning by plug being pulled from kayak. Yeah. That that's just, just, does not sound like a legit autopsy to right, me. Right. It sounded like the police wanted to wrap this up, make a murder out of it. Yeah. They it sounded like they had an agenda and that's what they did. And um I don't know. It's just you know, I feel bad for everybody all around. Yeah, me yeah. too. Me too. So that's my crazy story for the week. Oh man, that's a crazy one. Yeah. That's crazy. So crazy. Okay. Jen. Sally. Are you ready for a sweet love story? Just yes, a sweet, please. sweet love story. I need a nice, sweet love story. Good. So I got my information from thegoodnewsnetwork.org. That's um, a great one. It is. From the Instagram account, Sweet Mary Bus, and the blog, Sweet Mary and the Road Less Traveled. So this one is in honor of Veterans Day, which was – Yesterday, Yesterday, as we're recording this, mm-hmm. and it actually it reminded me of your love story last week. In that it involves a World War II vet, and it also is this idea that it's never too late to have new experiences and to have an adventure. Love it. Okay, yeah. So this is the story of Grandpa Johnny. So okay, Grandpa Johnny, Grandpa Johnny. So. I love it. 95-year-old World War II veteran Johnny Demas and his wife Mary were married for 67 years. Johnny wow. grew up in Waco, Texas, but but after he was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps after World War II, he moved to Chicago to start a new life. And that is where he met a beautiful young woman named Mary Louise Garber. And Mary was born in Freepoint, Illinois. She went to Wheaton College and then entered nursing school in Chicago. And the two met on June 21st, 1950, which is the longest day of the year. And they met, they were both out with friends at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and they just instantly fell in love. They got married six months later on December 21st, 1950, which is wow. the shortest day of the year. And the two had this incredibly loving and devoted marriage. They had this tight-knit family with seven children, 24 grandchildren, 21 great-grandchildren, and two great-great-grandchildren. And Mary had been especially loved by her grandson, Roger Gilbert. They had a really special relationship because Roger had grown up in the same town of Wheaton, Illinois, as his grandparents. And from the time he was little, he used to pray every night for his grandma and Aww. his wife, yeah, isn't that so cute? Can you imagine yes. this little boy? And even like up until the time he was an adult, he still prayed every night for his grandma. His wife, Joe, said that she she thought Roger really believed that his grandma would live forever. But in March of 2018, they got the call that 90-year-old Mary had been taken to the hospital and that she was going to be put on life support. 
And Roger's mother didn't think that he and Joe were going to make it there in time to say goodbye. But by some miracle, Grandma Mary hung on for three more days, which was enough time for Roger to travel from Sedona, Arizona, where he lived, back to Illinois to say his goodbyes. And on March 10th, 2018, Mary Demas passed away. She was surrounded by her family. Her obituary said, which I think this like gave me chills. It's like the sweetest thing ever. But like her children will remember her as the greatest woman they have ever known. Oh, like, oh that's, that's good. She was loving, gentle, kind. And above all else, she loved the Lord deeply. It was a love that saturated all areas of her life. Mary loved spending time with her family, always offering food wherever she could, or teaching her hobbies to others, such as knitting, playing piano, gardening, or baking. Most importantly, she gave life lessons, always focused on scripture to everyone, especially those she loved. So after Mary died, Roger, the grandson, stayed in Illinois for six months to take care of his grandpa, who was now alone. And Mary had been Johnny's full-time caregiver in the last several years, and the family knew that there was no way that Johnny could live alone. Because Grandpa Johnny actually, he had had he had all sorts of health problems, but he was, I mean, he was 95. And he had broke a hip shortly after Mary passed away, and he had to spend two months in rehab. And Roger, his grandson, slept every night beside him on a second hospital bed. Aww. And it was, I mean, it was obvious to everyone, the whole family, that Johnny was going to need full-time care. But they weren't sure what to do about it. You know, they talked about putting him in a nursing facility. They considered hiring full-time in-home care, but realized it wouldn't be financially possible because he really needed someone there 24 hours a day. And Johnny and Mary were these two fiercely independent people, and the two had always said that they never wanted to live in a nursing home. So that is when Roger and his wife, Joe decided to invite Grandpa Johnny to live with them in Sedona. And they would be his full-time in-home caregivers. Johnny had lived in Illinois for 60 years, but at 95, he took a leap of faith and said yes to their offer. He boarded a plane in September of 2018 for the first time since he went to Israel with his beloved wife, Mary, in the early 1990s. So wow. 30 years later, he gets on a plane. And for the first year, they were just settling into this routine. So Joe and Roger served as full-time caregivers, and Johnny did really well. But about a year in, they all started getting stir-crazy. And because for years, Roger and Joe had dreamed of getting an RV and traveling the country. And traveling was in their blood. Joe was born in London and had graduated with a degree in photography. And after she graduated, she moved to South Korea to teach English. And that is where she met Roger, who was also teaching English in South Korea. And the two fell in love. And from Korea, they moved to Sumatra. And then I think the next logical place, um, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then finally, Sedona, Arizona. And they put their dream on hold when Grandma Mary had died, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Johnny, for his part, was also not ready to give up on life. He had always been up for trying new things. Not only had he served in World War II, but he had spent his career as an executive chef at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. Oh, Wow. Yeah, and he but he was known as this like romantic guy. He was a jack of all trades. He taught dancing lessons, he wrote, he drew, he painted, and he was also this amazing singer and he worked singing in nightclubs all around Chicago. 
And one of his like most- I'll marry him. Right? I mean, can you imagine like she played the piano and baked and he was like singing and dancing? They sound like an amazing couple, but yeah. So one of his most infamous stories is that he once auditioned for Jack Ruby, who is the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald in one of Ruby's clubs, but he didn't get the job, but only because the other person going for the job was Elvis Presley. (gasps) So he only lost out. To Elvis. to Elvis Presley. What a cool yeah. story. I know. So, That's awesome. So the three of them started talking, and they decided that just because it was going to be more complicated didn't mean that they should give up on their dreams. So Roger and Joe decided that they were going to get that RV that they always dreamed of and that they would spend their time fulfilling Grandpa Johnny's bucket list. And he wanted to go to places in the U.S. that he'd always wanted to see. He wanted to visit some places that he hadn't been in a long time. And he just wanted to have a new adventure at this late stage of his life. And so Roger and Joe searched and they found an RV that they could afford. It was used and it was going to take some time to retrofit to make it accessible for Johnny. They'd need to install install a chairlift because Johnny mostly needed a wheelchair to get around. And beyond that, it was going to take a lot of cleaning. So once they got the RV, Joe's parents were actually that week visiting from England, and they spent days cleaning every inch of the RV. And they also started learning all about how to travel with a person who had Johnny's health limitations. I mean, not only was some days he had, he wasn't super mentally clear, but he'd also been diagnosed with bone cancer. So he had good days. He had bad days. I mean, he was 95 and he needed 24-hour assistance. There would be times that he'd need oxygen treatments and times where he wouldn't be up for doing much at all. But they just thought, we can make this work because even just the idea of the trip seemed to energize Johnny. And Joe said that once the idea came up, he was chomping at the bit to get going. And when they finally got the RV, even before they were able to install the chairlift, Johnny was so excited about seeing it, he insisted on getting out of his chair and climbing up the steps just to get inside to see it. And as a time, like, and when it's so cute, there's a video of him seeing the RV for the first time. And he's just like, I can't believe this is ours. I can't believe this is all ours. And he was just so so pumped about, yeah, about this like new thing. It was really cool. Um, And as the time got closer to leave, the difference in Johnny was remarkable. He was just more full of life than anyone had seen him in a long time. And at the end of September, they took a short trip to Flagstaff and to Antelope Canyon to test out the RV and to get it some things balanced on it. And everything went really smoothly They learned to find camping sites and hiking trails that were wheelchair accessible. Um, And they headed back to Sedona to say goodbye to friends and kind of regroup and pack before they headed out on their big adventure. But then as they were getting ready to go, Johnny started feeling this incredible pain in his arm and he was Mm. taken to the emergency room. And Joe and Roger feared that this was the bone cancer and that it would mean that their adventure, adventure just couldn't happen. But after eight hours in the emergency room getting x-rays and tests, it actually turned out that it was nothing too serious as far as doctors could tell. And within a week, Johnny was feeling better. He was back to his usual self and he was ready to hit the road. So they got the lift installed and Joe and Roger surprised Johnny with personalized license plates for the RV 
and their tow-along car that read Sweet Mary and Sweet Bus. And they, I know. And they named the RV Sweet Mary Bus after Johnny's beloved wife, who he had always called Sweetie. Aww. And when they show Johnny the plates, he cried the most beautiful happy tears. And there's a video we'll post, and I dare you to watch it and not tear Aww. up. It's really sweet. So finally, on October 30th, the trio, along with their two dogs, hit the road They headed east from Sedona. They made a bunch of stops, um, including Tombstone and Tucson, Arizona, White Sands, New Mexico, um, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso, Dallas. And there were good days and bad days. And Joe says, sometimes it was both in one day. Like sometimes Johnny would refuse to eat breakfast and sleep all morning, only to wake up at noon, hungry and ready to get to the next stop. So they went to national parks, museums, and even cheesy tourist destinations. Some nights they stayed at vineyards, other nights at KOAs, and they made a special stop in Waco, Texas, where Johnny had been born and raised, and they drove around looking at sites that Johnny remembered from when growing up there in the 20s and 30s. They visited with family, and on Veterans Day, they visited the grave sites of Johnny's brother, parents, and grandma in Waco. One night they stayed at this dairy in South Texas, and they arrived at night, and that night, before Johnny went to bed... He prayed that he would learn and see new things. And the next morning, the owner of the dairy gave them a tour, taught them all about cheese making, and let them sample newly made cheese. And then he introduced them to the animals, a camel who was also named Roger, ducks, cows, donkeys, and a llama. And Johnny was (laughs) thrilled that his prayer had been answered so quickly. So even beyond like just the sites that they saw, one of the most impactful part of their trips was visiting several World War II museums. You know, Johnny had enlisted in the U.S. Marines at age 17, and due to his young age, his father had actually had to sign him up. And he served in Guam, where he was wounded, and he was sent back to the States to recover in a VA hospital. And he had severe PTSD and was treated actually with this really sad, but he was treated with electroshock, electric shock therapy. Oh, God. And then he says that he witnessed a friend and a fellow soldier being carried out of the VA on a stretcher, and he was like... That's it. And he just discharged himself and went home. And like many men of that era, Johnny never talked about what happened to him during the war or afterwards. So these visits were actually a chance for him to finally process his life. And Joe told the Good News Network that I think it was deeply cathartic for Grandpa to be able to process everything that had happened at such a young age. And she said it was an honor to see how people reacted and respected his service in World War II, how fascinated they were by him and his stories. As we walked down the street, people would often stop Grandpa, shake his hand, and thank him for his service. They didn't often stop long enough to see how Johnny would always well up with emotion and gratitude for their kind words. It touched him so deeply every time. They went to this um, World War II aircraft hangar museum in Texas, and the young woman who ran the place was so excited to meet someone who had lived through World War II that she gave a personal tour and gave Johnny a t-shirt. And Johnny bought his favorite mug that just said in all big red letters, to hell with Hitler. And (laughs) they said it made him laugh every morning without fail when he drank his coffee. So... After a month on the road, the three went back to Sedona for Christmas, but then on January 15th, 2020, they were back out. They took it slow this time. They drove along a southern route through Texas, spending time at lakes and the ocean. In Louisiana, they took swamp tours and they stayed on Avery Island. 
but their ultimate destination was one that Johnny had always dreamed of and one that you love, Jen, New Orleans. Oh, yeah. So That's he, awesome. Yeah, he had been a chef all his life, and so he wanted to oh, try yeah. every bit of New Orleans cuisine he could. They arrived in the middle of Mardi Gras, and they had alligator sausage, po'boys, beignets, gumbo, oysters. They had everything. And they even were able to watch the, a Mardi Gras parade from the balcony right in the French Quarter. And Joe said Johnny had quite a few beads thrown his way. There's this picture of him with just like a ton of beads all the way up. That's so (laughs) awesome. awesome. You should go to their – go to the um, Instagram account, Sweet Mary Bus, because Joe is a photographer. All of the pictures of their trip are on there and they're just really beautiful and really touching. And um, So I highly recommend it. Are they going to make a book out of it? They should. They They should. should. I would buy that book. Yeah, so after New Orleans, they headed back to Sedona, and it was now the beginning of the March, beginning of March of 2020, and as you know, the world was shutting down, and Johnny's health was so fragile that they knew they couldn't keep traveling with him in the midst of this pandemic. And Joe said that I can honestly say that caring for Grandpa was the hardest and most rewarding thing we have ever done. Caring for someone 24/7 is a very difficult job, but it also teaches you to be selfless. On August 16th of 2020. Johnny Demas died at age 96. His obituary said that from the time of his birth, he filled those around him with love and laughter. And that's what I would like you to put on my bench, Jen, after you I will me. put that on your bench. <laughs> I, um, you know what else I forgot to mention is from my crazy story Yeah, um, that Vincent has a bench. He's got a bench? He's got a bench. He's got a bench. Mm-hmm. But, oh, my God, I love that story. And I, I really hope that they turn that book into – or those photos into a coffee table book because I would give it to everyone I know just as I a know. reminder to, like, don't stop living your life. Yeah. Don't st- I, like, adventures don't need to stop. I know. I know. I love it. And I love how excited he was to go out and do it. So, sorry, there's just a little bit long – a little bit more. Um, oh, so sorry. No, it's okay. I did – I seemed like I was wrapping up. I am wrapping up. So, wrap it up. No, I'll wrap kidding. it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> um, so Joe said, Grandpa taught us so many things with the joy and contentment he felt in sitting by a campfire or the sweet moments spent feeding popcorn to ducks. He taught me to, that the simple times, the quiet moments in life are the ones to value. And as for Roger and Joe, they sold Sweet Mary to an older couple that, who they hope will enjoy it for many years to come. But their adventures as a couple are not over. So during the lockdown, they bought a truck camper, and they've already started traveling again. In September, they headed to Yellowstone, something that had been on Joe's bucket list for years. And you can see Joe's beautiful pictures, like I said, on Instagram, at SweetMaryBus, or on her blog, SweetMaryBus.com. And Joe is also... A very talented artist, and you can buy her. She has all of these custom coloring pages on Etsy at her store, Joe Gilbert Artist, or she has a beautifully illustrated spiritual journal, um, if that's your thing, called Where You Go, and that's on Amazon. So, okay, that's now awesome. I'm done. Yeah. Well, I love it, and I love it for all the same reasons that I just said two seconds ago. <laughs> Same. That's so great. Oh, and then just like every – just being in the um, quarantine, it just makes you – like every time I hear about people traveling, I'm like, oh, yes. I know. <laughs> Tell me more. You know, looking, you, you have go? to look through the pictures. They're just yeah, oh, amazing. Oh, man. 
That's so awesome. I love it. Yeah, me too. All right. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah. Okay, I'll start. Um, So for something dumb, I just want to apologize to Sally for – I, you guys probably can't tell because she's going to edit this so well and she like she does a, such a great job and she'll put it up in a pretty little package for you. But we have had to stop recording a hundred fucking times because <laughs> my life is chaos right now. As I'm sure every mother's or person or you know parent's life right now is chaos. Just like every – we'll get two seconds in and then a, something will happen. My – a child will cut their hair and (laughs) a dog will pee on the floor or the bug guy comes to the door or my, my work has been ringing off the hook. My phone has been ringing off the hook this whole time. Zach just walked in. I, you didn't even catch that one, Sally. Zach just walked in the (laughs) office and goes, Oh, sorry. And then walked out. It's just been chaos and I'm just ready for, I just need a break. You did say a break. Before we even started today, you said this day is chaos. This day is just total chaos. And it just kept going. It just kept being chaos. Calgon, take me away. <laughs> um, but for something I love, one thing that's uh, – I'm going to do this with you guys. So I've been waiting. I, uh, You guys know I adopted a dog named Ruth, Ruth Puppy Ginsburg. Yay. I love her so much. And I don't know what kind of dog she is. Um, so I did one of those doggy DNA tests like yeah. weeks ago when we got her, and I just got an email while we were recording that the results are in. Ooh, this is so exciting. So I'm going to read them with you guys. I don't even know. I don't know. So Ruth Puppy Ginsburg is – there's no fucking way. There's no way. She's this is pig. bullshit. I am so <laughs> pissed and I want my money back. 24% Rottweiler? Have you seen my dog? No way. It says that she is 24% Rottweiler, 20% Shih Tzu, 17% Labrador Retriever, 13% <laughs> Poodle, and 11.5% American Pitbull Terrier. Beagle and 5.2% Boxer. To say that this dog that is a tiny little (laughs) fluffy schmup is 24% Rottweiler is insanity. (laughs) This can't be true. This can't be true. It's science. So can I change this something I love to something dumb? It's dumb again. (laughs) Everything's dumb. (laughs) This day is chaos. (laughs) It is chaos. There's no way. (laughs) Holy shit. You got to get on the internet. Fuck you, Embark. Yeah. (laughs) God, I paid $130 for you to tell me that my little fluff fluffer his teeny tiny is a Rottweiler. I mean, maybe she is. I, maybe. I doubt I, it. I really doubt it. But <laughs> we'll see. She was switched Not, at birth. Her DNA was switched. What's crazy is that they told us that she was um, a wire fox terrier mix with something. And that's not even in here at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> a Pipple and Rottweiler? I just didn't think so. <laughs> 
Not my sweet little Ruth. <laughs> I love Rottweilers and I love yeah. all dogs, but she just, there's no way. Okay, we yeah. have to move on because I'm about to lose it. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So my something dumb is your your thing about your dog because I also, I've just, I've also had a nuts week. It's been, I'm just very stressed at work, so I can't think of anything on my own. The thing I love is that we have a new president. We talked about this at the beginning. I love that we have a new president. Yes. I love that we have. I should I'm be sorry focusing on that. do not um, agree with us politically, but I think we've been, I mean, you probably, I, you've been, we've been very clear about where we stand. Um, but I, I'm just um, so, I'm so happy for Kamala. I'm so proud and Kamala and, uh, and I'm excited to work hard for Georgia for this, for yes. uh, the next, next Georgia, month or so. We've got work to do. Yeah. So those are the things, dumb and things I love. You guys, I hope you had an amazing week. Tell us how you celebrated last weekend, if you celebrated. And yeah, give us a shout on a little hey, hey on uh, Pod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Podcast, or on Patreon, which is where we're doing fun stuff. And um, you can join at any level and get some extra content. Do all those things. Do them all. And uh Get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum da